0: Uh, go ahead and make your way over to Psalm 56 this morning. This is our first, first. This is our fourth Psalm for the summer. Uh, open up there. Now, I don't know if you notice when you're reading in the Psalms, uh, 116 of the 150 Psalms actually have uh, some sort of title there at the very beginning that gives you some information, some background to it. Um, today we we see uh, in ours right here. They they actually exist in the oldest manuscripts, right? So there's some debate, are they original or are they not? But they are showing up in the oldest manuscripts. And so we, uh, we receive them in that way, and they provide this information. Anyway, the first one has this, this phrase, or actually ours today, Psalm 56 says, To the choir master, according to the dove on far off Terebemps. Now, Terebemps is a tree, in case you're wondering, uh, in the cashew family. But it's actually a reference to a tune here. Uh, I can remember the, the first time I was at a, a hymn sing and someone's saying, we're going to sing that to the old hundredths, and everyone looked like they knew what that meant, and I was like, what is going, like, how does anyone know what that means? It's an old tune, right? It was just gibberish to me. Uh, If you're like me, and you're like, I don't know what that means, that's the tune that the doxology at the very end of the service, that's the tune we sing that to, I think. Is that right, Nicola? I don't know. You don't know. Yes. All right. Confirmed by someone who knows something about music. All right, so. Uh, unfortunately, the tune of Psalm 56 is, is lost to time. We don't, we don't know what it is at this point. Uh, the other information you see here is that this is a, a mictum. Uh, unfortunately, that's a word. No one's sure what it means. Probably something technical and musical. Uh, and finally, we, we learn that David wrote this psalm while he's in the city of Gath, and, and he's in the custody of, of the Philistines there, and we'll, we'll get into that in a bit later. Now, just to give you a little idea of the flow of Psalm 56, it's a little bit kind of like a modern song in the sense that uh, David describes this stressful situation going on in his life. And then verses 3 and 4, they're kind of like the chorus or the, the bridge, right? Uh, the hook. It kind of uh, expresses this, this trust in God. And then it goes back into uh, the main stuff where he's going over verses 5 uh, through 8 or 9 or so.
1: <clears throat> he's
0: elaborating the stressful situation. And then it comes back to this chorus. You can see it in verses 10 and 11 uh, where it just adds a little to the chorus there. And then the last two verses just, just bring it to a close. Uh, but in that sense, it, it, it kind of mirrors what we know as music today. Um, now, for the sake of understanding this psalm, we're, we're going to focus on it in, in, in two ways. And I want you to think of this um, in the one sense, David thinking fearfully, uh, and, and then in the other sense, David thinking faithfully. And so those are the two categories that we're kind of look at it instead of going verse through verse specifically through it in that way. So let's, uh, let's go ahead and read Psalm 56, beginning in verse one. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attacks attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid, what can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime, will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your books? And then my enemy will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thanks offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before you, God, in the light of life. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are... We are not in the situation that David was in when he wrote this, but we know what it is like to be anxious, to be afraid. May, may your word in Psalm 56 inform our minds, transform our hearts, and direct our steps. Uh, specifically, Lord, I'm asking that, you would, that we would all find comfort and peace by learning, like David, to exchange fearful thinking for faithful thinking. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So my first memory of Psalm 56 uh, was to roll my eyes, if I'm honest, uh, when I go back. Uh, You see, when I uh, first met Laura, my my wife now, she was a freshman in college, and she claimed that Psalm 56, verse 1, was her favorite verse in all of Scripture because she can relate to it. Uh, And so, of course, I asked her, uh, oh, you know what's, what's it say, expecting, oh, there must be something profound, like to live as Christ and to die as gain, or something like that. Now, you don't see it in the ESV if you're looking at it right now, but she was quoting from the old NIV. I can tell you do remember this, by the way you're smirking over there. Uh, and the old NIV reads this, Be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me. <clears throat> so you can see why I rolled my eyes at this. Ah, uh, Unfortunately, every time I come to it, I remember that now, and I probably ruined it for you there at the first line. But uh, that's why we want to read Scripture in, in context, proper context, and, and we're going to do that today. Now, to really understand the two possible uh, responses that, that we can have to anxiety-inducing situations, which do come into our life usually on a regular basis— Uh, We have to consider this first question that he asked in verse 4, where he says, what can flesh do to me? Okay, and he's going to ask that question again in verse 11, right, with just a small change. What can man do to me? Now, you don't have to live in this world very long for you to learn that people can do some incredibly awful things to each other. I usually avoid the news, I just try to stay away from it, but... Uh, for the sake of David's questions here, I, I went into it, pursued it this week, what's, what's going on in the world, and I look at it, and the first thing I find is, in Detroit, a 12-year-old girl who's thrown acid in the face of an 11-year-old peer, uh, simply because she was angry at her. And then I went on and saw dozens and dozens of, of more stories of just horrible things happening, and it was so depressing that I just had to stop, and I won't bother to share them all with you, but, you know, we... we we know this. We, we know the depravity of man in, in this life is endlessly on display for us. We don't have to go far to see it. In kidnappings and murder and molestation and terrorism, abuse of power by authorities, right? You, th- you think of this question, you think, oh, well, my boss could fire me tomorrow unjustly, and, and then what would I do? Or someone could ruin your reputation, and how do you defend that? Or your, your heart could be broken by adultery or divorce. And, and, and so we come to this question of, you know, what can flesh do to you? Well, a whole lot, actually. The, the anxiety this can cause is, is only exasperated then by all the things that just go wrong because we live in a fallen world that is, that is stained by sin, right? Things like cancer and tornadoes and uh, whatever it is, right? I imagine there's something in your mind that you think that's the most recent thing that has been just anxiety, fear-inducing in my life, right? That, that's, that's what I'm thinking of here. Now, we're going to see in a bit, uh, you know, how David in faith actually... Wrestles with that question. What is the answer that David assumes here, right? But, but, but first, let's consider his situation, right? In, in verses 1 and 2, and then again in verses 5 and 7, or 5 to 7, uh, we, we see the intensity of these attacks on David. They keep coming and coming, right? It's, it's all day, it's relentless. They twist his words, they stir up strife, they trample him. Uh, they're proud of what they are doing to him. In these verses, we, we see future King David, and he's so incredibly overwhelmed here because the attacks just keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. And I imagine there's times in your life when it feels like that, they're just coming and coming and coming. Now, I, again, from, from the ancient title of this psalm, we, we know the situation, and that really, really just enlightens what we're looking here at Psalm 56, right? It, it comes from 1 Samuel 20 through 22. Uh, you can go read the whole thing sometime you want. Here's what's going on there, though. Uh, Saul was still king of Israel, and and he was pursuing David because uh, he hates David at this point. His whole goal is I'm going to kill David, uh, and and that's his goal. So, as David is on the run, and he's trying to get away from this king who wants to kill him and all his spies and everything else, he goes to this town called Nob. Uh, And at this point, David is completely alone. Nobody's with him. He has no food, he has no weapons. Uh, and so he asked the, uh, the priest there, Ahimelech, uh, the head priest there, for, for some help. The priest gives him food like he asked for, and then David says, do you have a spear? Do you have a sword? Do you have anything of a weapon? I've got nothing with me right now. And the priest says, well, we do have one weapon. We have this, uh, this big old sword here from a guy named Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed quite a while ago. Uh, you want that sword? And, and David's response is, well, there's no sword like that sword. I'll take it. So he's got this big old sword now. Now David's next decision really tells us how incredibly desperate he is at this moment. Uh, There's no place in Israel that seems safe for him, and in fact, while David was actually in Nob, there's a a guy, another Israelite, by the name of, uh, well, Edomite, uh, Doeg the, the Edomite, and... And he sees David talking to the priest and sees that the priest helps him. And he goes and he reports this to, uh, to King Saul. And, and because of that, Saul actually sends orders and, and requires that the 85 priests and their families all be put to death. That that's what's happening to people that David is even going around. Uh, and, and so we see how desperate he is. And, and to really show it, here's where he ends up. He ends up fleeing to a city called Gath. This is a town of Philistines. And they used to have this beloved, beloved hero status citizen. He was a big deal, like bigger deal than, than Pat Mahomes over in KC. And this local hero there went by this name of Goliath. Now you're putting this together in your head. You're seeing what's happening here. David killed their hero, and now he comes just wandering into the city with this big old sword that belonged to their hero, right? And now, a, a, a while back, a friend of mine sent this video of this guy in in New York who had lost his fantasy football league. And I don't know if you've seen how that works, but there's usually some hazing is what it really counts to, right? Something that the loser has to do, and, and, and whatever they come up with. So his, his friends did this. They, um, they're all Yankee fans, and if you don't know, Yankee fans absolutely hate the Astros in recent years, uh, especially a guy named Jose Altuve. Uh, and, and they had this poor guy dressed in a full Astros uniform, like pants, the shoes, a glove, every little aspect of it, with Jose Altuve's name on it. And his requirement for losing this was you have to go to a game in Yankee Stadium out in the outfield, and you can't tell anybody why you're dressed like that. And, and so he goes and he does it, and it went just about as badly as you would expect. Uh, the fans verbally berated him the whole game. They're getting in his face, yelling at him. Um, <clears throat> and his friends are just sitting back laughing as this has happened. Now, now, this is kind of what's, what's going to happen to David here, right? But with far more hostility, a, a great deal reality to that. But, but that's the idea. You're going right into the heart of that. And it didn't take long <clears throat> uh, for servants, right? For the servants of King Gath, that's the Philistine, uh, Philistine king, to, to bring reports. They say, yeah, you know, um, you know David, uh, the guy that the Israelites are singing that new song about after his victory, right? About about killing our family our family and our friends, about killing Goliath, right? You know the song, it goes, you know, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands, or whatever tune it was, right? Well, that guy, he's here. He's in our city right now, and he's got Goliath's sword with him. Well, David is that desperate. In fact, Derek Kidner says of this, to have fled from Saul to Gath of all places, the hometown of Goliath, took the courage of despair. And So at this point, no one's surprised. The Philistines actually bring David into uh, custody there. And so he is alone. He is desperate. He is also incredibly afraid. First Samuel 21:12 says of David: "says David was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath." And so this is the moment, right? This is the situation when David is sitting there, maybe with, with Goliath's sword still sitting on his lap there. Um, maybe not, right? But this is the moment he's there, and he's writing Psalm 56. King Saul wants to kill him. There's Israelites everywhere that are looking for him, pursuing him. And, and now he's among the Philistines who, you know, who would love to avenge the deaths of their people, He's threatened from every situation, and David is stressed out and sees no way out, and I expect he, he wishes he could turn back time to the old, good old days at this point, and yet this is where he's stuck. Now, I, I refer to these verses in 1 and 2 and, and 5 and 7 as, as fearful thinking, and that's not to put some great judgment on the way David is necessarily thinking here, uh, but I call it that because in these portions, David, David is looking at the issues in his life. Here's what's wrong. Here's the problem. Here's the, the, the things going on. And, and this is the moment when there's that, you know, he's having to fight that internal battle to remember, right, in the midst of it all, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of danger, in the midst of stress and, and desperation and seeing no way out to just remember, you know what? God is still God. God is still God my God, and that's the battle going on in his mind, going on in his heart. To remember, God is able to deliver David even from this mess. A- and he can deliver you and I from anything we are facing as well. Now, again, you haven't killed a giant warrior and then showed up in his hometown. Uh, no, no king has probably put a bounty on your head, I don't think. You're, you're not running for your life, but you probably do understand the feelings of loneliness. You do understand the feelings of stress and fear and anxiety and the uncertainty of how in the world is God going to fix this. In this psalm, David does what we must do. He learns to trust in the Lord again. Now look down at at verse 9. There we we, we see the antidote for fear and anxiety. It's quite simple, really. Uh, You see that last line there. He says, this I know, that God is for me. Christian, you, you have put your trust in Jesus for your salvation. Do you, do you believe that? Right? And all the things going on in your life, all the things you want to question in your life, do you know that God is, is for you? All right. if you go back a verse to verse 8, you, you see a beautiful picture of God's concern for his people. David there writes, you, you have kept count of my tossings or, or wandering, right? Uh, you, uh, you, and then he says, put my tears in your bottle. <clears throat> That's an odd thing to hear. Put my tears in your, your bottle, right? I mean, this idea of tears in general, do you have any idea how many tears you've cried over the course of your life? Could you count them? Could you put them in a bottle? Probably, probably not. Um, our our son uh, is is not a big at showing emotions. You know, we ask him all the time, "Do you cry? Would this make you cry? Would that make you cry?" And he probably gets sick of these questions, right? Uh, this past week, though, after watching the movie *A Man Called Otto*, I don't know if you've seen this, uh, but Bex decided to like flex his emotions and and tells us afterwards, you know, I cried four individual tears during that movie. I didn't cry any, um, but four. You know, this is like he's. You know, look, I I have emotions now. We weren't able to bottle those tears, but they, we do treasure them, right? We, we, I mean, mostly because they're evidence that he's not a sociopath, uh, but, but we treasure tears in the sense of caring that someone else has tears. That, that's what it's getting at here is this, this pain, this harm that God actually cares about him, right? You see that in verse 8, right? It's, you, you, verse 8, right? It's that David's tears, his pain is so precious to the Lord that David expects God will gather these in, into a bottle as if they're as valuable as, as water in that arid region or as valuable as wine, right? These are the things they, they, they stored in bottles. That's how much God cares about, about your tears. The, the bottom line is is David is able to trust God because he knows that God cares for him because he really, at the deeper level, knows that God is for him. Much later in, in 1 Peter 5-7, the apostle Peter Uh, It's going to encourage us as God's people to to cast all your anxieties on on God. You you might be familiar with this verse, right? But he doesn't just say do it, right? Just do it because you're supposed to do it, right? He, He gives a reason for you to do that. He says because God cares for you. You hear that? God cares for you. Unfortunately, we don't, tend to make that our first step when we face anxiety. You know what? To one, remember that God cares for you and, and two, to go and cast these anxieties on him. I, I can't tell you how many times I've asked someone else or somebody's asked me about something I'm stressing out about and like well have you prayed about this? I'm like well I mean, maybe. No. Right? Why is that not our, our first thing? Now, now what are we to do when we are afraid? When when we are anxious? All right, we've seen a little bit of that. Look at verse 3. Go back to the, the hook, right? Uh, you, you see what David uh, prays to God. This is his actual prayer. He says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Again, it sounds so simple. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. And, and do notice, right? He doesn't say, if I am afraid, but when I am afraid, right? It is not sinful for you to be afraid, but There is no reason that we as God's children should remain in that fear. And in verse 4, we we see the result of our our truly trusting God. David says, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. So you're seeing the pattern here. I am afraid. uh, I trust in God. And I am not afraid. That's the way it goes. And I understand that's incredibly simple. Right? But that first part that you acknowledge, I am afraid, God. You go to him and you admit that. And that second part, this is the hardest one, learning to really trust the Lord. And that's how we get to that third part. I am not afraid. Tr- trusting in God then means that, right, that you're, you're not trusting in your own circumstances. You're not trusting in your own wealth or power or position or whatever it might be. And not, not even in your ability and your own strength to come up with some plan that's going to fix everything. It doesn't mean you sit back and do nothing, but are you. Are you praying to the Lord? Are you trusting Him to, to bring about a solution? Now we know when, when David and his youth slayed Goliath, all the other soldiers of Israel were terrified. Nobody wanted to go out and fight this guy, but, but that wasn't David, right? He had compre- complete trust in the Lord, and yet somehow his trust in God has faded over the years, or at least in this moment. <clears throat> right? He's human. We don't, don't elevate David to some some idea that's just not reality. He's a sinner like the rest of us. Now, why does it fade? Maybe the hype of all the success has gotten to him, right? They're singing songs about how great he is, right? Maybe he's relying on his own abilities and he's just so capable that he kind of forgets the Lord. <clears throat> we don't know for sure, but but David who walks into Gath is not the David who defeated Goliath with the slingshot in, in the sense of his trust of the Lord. Now, you're right. Even back then, right, before he goes and fights David, fights Goliath, he said, you know, he proclaimed confidently, God would give the victory. There was no doubt in his mind. And here is David at a a low point, fear, anxiety, right, these are, these are what's going on and you and I know we, we don't like those things. We don't like fear and anxiety in our our lives, um, but often they are a blessing for us. I don't think we realize that. They're blessing because they, they spur us towards renewed faith in God. I, some of you know this. Uh, I, I am generally an anxious person. Those of you close to me know because I come to you with things and I'm like, this is, sky is falling, right? Uh, it's just, you know, In a few times in my life I've had panic attacks that ended up in the ER and I get super anxious when I have medical concerns. And at times when my anxiety is worse, I hate it so incredibly much. But I'm also incredibly thankful to the Lord for these times of fear, because they leave me with nowhere to go, no place to find trust and and hope, but besides the Lord, besides the gospel, but besides the scriptures. I can only go to God who I must know, you know, cares for me, who the Word tells me cares for me, and eventually my heart really begins to to trust and believe He cares for me. You see, God is never more real and precious to me than after times of great distress, and we see that in, in David here. This is the first recorded instance of David praying the, during this time since he's begun running from Saul. Maybe he did, but for whatever reason, Scripture doesn't record it anywhere until this moment. And David's been trusting, right, in his own plan so far. And as it turns out, showing up and gasped with the sword of the guy you killed, uh, not, not a fantastic plan. <clears throat> And so in this moment, right, can you picture David, right, in the custody of the king, uh, his trust in God is being restored as he prays these words, uh, even as he continues to wonder, what, what in the world is God doing here, with me here? did Jerry Bridges once said, we honor God <clears throat> by choosing to trust him when we don't understand what he's doing or why he has allowed some adverse circumstance to occur. Proverbs 3.5 along the same line says, Trust in the Lord with all your hearts and do not lean on your own understanding. As long as we're hopping through Scripture, the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Philippians and instructs us as Christians and he writes this. He says, Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplic- supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And then it goes on, right? What's going to happen if we do that? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So again, I ask, have you talked to the Lord about your fears? The only real path to peace is learning to trust in God. Isaiah 26.3 beautifully says it like this. Speaking of God is the you here. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And so, what about you? Do you trust God? I mean, Christians, you have trusted Jesus with the salvation of your very soul. Do you also trust God with everything else? Do you trust Him with your health? Do you trust Him with your loneliness, with your bills and your finances, your, your marriage, your, your children? You, you name whatever's causing you fear. Do you trust the Lord with that? And so, David learns here to trust God through His Word. And that's important for us to understand here, right? You, you see that. If we go back to the hook, the chorus, the bridge, I don't know what to call it, but verses 4 and 10 right? In God whose word I praise, and, and the Lord whose word I, I praise. You see, in, in David's time, when he says that, he, he's thinking of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, uh, which reveal so much about who God is, his character, his care for his people, and, and so on. But, but David's also thinking of a specific promise of the Lord, Something in his time that's happening, right? In First in Samuel 16:12, God sent the prophet Samuel, and he said, "You know, you're going to go and identify who who the new king is going to be." Uh, and he finds himself standing before David, and the Lord says to Samuel, "Right, uh, arise, anoint him. That's David, for this is he." And David knows that. These, these words are given to him. And so David can trust that God's going to keep that word, that he's going to become the king of Israel. He, even if he cannot see a way of escape at this moment, and that might have been very difficult, he, he can trust that, 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 that God will keep his promise, and, and thus his life does not end in Gath. He's going to get out of there. He can believe that. Now, as Christians, we have the entirety of the word of God. Right? The promises of God for us are in these 66 books of the Bible, and, and in these words you can trust, you can trust absolutely. This book contains everything you need to know about, about the Lord, about spiritual things. And apart from these words, you cannot know what God is like. Not really, right? And we certainly cannot know what God has promised to do for us. We, we can't know the gospel We also have the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and and gives us understanding for these praiseworthy words so that we can, you know, learn to trust our, our soul is safe in the hands of the Lord, to learn to trust the Lord in everything that we go through. Christian, you can learn to trust God in every area of your life. Again, I'm not saying it's easy, but that's what the Lord calls us to, and that's where we will find real comfort and peace. Now, you know, this is why your familiarity with the Scriptures is of, a vital, important to your Christian walk, right, for your, for your battle against fear, against doubt, against sin, against everything that threatens your trust, your faith, your hope in the Lord. Now, I, I, I want to return to that, that twice-asked question, right, verse 4 and 11, what can man do to me? And earlier, I, we saw in one sense, man can do a whole lot of nasty things to me, right, but that's 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 how we answer this question when we are having this, this fearful mindset, right? How do we answer that question with a faithful mindset, faithful thinking, right? Like, like David answers here, and, and what's his answer in verse 11? And you, maybe you got it in front of you, look at it, you're like, he doesn't, nothing, he doesn't say nothing, right? Which is actually the answer. What, what can man do to me unless the Lord wills it? nothing. Nothing. Last week, I, I quoted Hebrews thirteen five where God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The, the, the author of Hebrews there, I didn't explain it last week, I will this week, right? He's addressing these Christians who are tempted to abandon the gospel because there is so much nasty persecution coming at them. It, it seems to be costing them so much, so much hatred coming at them, uh, right? Uh, their faith, their very lives are under attack, and he reminds them of the promise of God to never lead them nor forsake them. And then the very next verse, right, this is Hebrews 13, 6, Uh, It references our psalm. It says, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And again, the answer is nothing. Nothing. Right? We're, We're often afraid of the wrong things in this life. Now, before we look at the last two verses, maybe you're wondering, so how did this actually turn out for David? I mean... He became king, so something happened, right? So, and I don't know if this is a story we're real familiar, right? He's, he's at the heart of this city that wants to murder him. He's in the custody of a king who would love to murder him. Uh, how in the world does God deliver him, right? Does he pull out Goliath's sword and slay everyone in this epic battle all by himself? Does the ground open up and just swallow all the Philistines and he just marches out of there? No. It is an incredibly embarrassing way that the Lord delivers him, Right? Uh, in 1 Samuel 21, 12, we are told uh, David was much afraid. It's at this point that David prays this prayer, that is Psalm 56, and then in the very next verse, we learn that David, you know, here's what he does, David pretends to be insane. He's making marks on the door, I don't know what that has to do with insane, right, but something, and he's drooling all over himself, just acting like a crazy man, and, and, and seeing this king ask his servants, right, uh, the, the king of Gath, right, he He asked his servants this. He is an actual quote. He says, Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Right? I got enough crazy people. Why are you bringing me him? And the Philistines had this superstition that you'd be cursed if you killed an insane person and so they just let him go. That's so pathetic. And yet, that's the way the Lord delivers him. Nobody sees this coming. No one expects that's what God's going to do here. And, and that's how David, trusting God, was, was rescued from the king of Gath. So, so then these last two verses are, are David promising to offer thanks for God delivering him. And, and you see the whole progression of this psalm then, right? David, David's afraid. David is trusting in God. He's no longer afraid. And the Lord delivers him. And, and now his heart turns gratefully to praising the Lord. And, and he commits to go forward walking before God in, in the light of, of life here, right? That, that, that's how God works for his people. That's how he works for David in this moment and and for you in the gospel. God God takes us from from fear to to faith. He he takes us from from darkness to light. He he takes us from death to life. You see, if, if, if God, through Jesus Christ, has saved your soul from sin and death and hell, then in what situation in this life can you not trust God? There isn't one. As Romans 8.31 declares, if God is for us, who can be against us? And, and maybe you're struggling with anxiety, with fear right now. If, if that's the case, Christian, I call you to recommit yourself to the Lord. And, and by that, I don't mean be gooder like we tend to think of that, right? But, but no matter how you've, you've stumbled, how you've sinned, or fallen into really, really unbelief or apathy, the, the antidote is to trust in the God who is for you. The God who cares so much about what you're going through. We can assume rightly that He bottles up our tears as valuable. The God who has proven that He will go all the way to the cross, all the way to the grave. The, the God who has defeated death and risen from the tomb to, to safely deliver your soul from the wrath that you deserve. And so the bottom line is this. When you are afraid, put your trust in the Lord. And it's so simple, don't, don't brush that off like, oh, I really wanted a real answer. I wanted a seven-step process and, you know, don't, don't brush that off, right? When, when you are afraid, put your trust in the Lord and do the difficult work, right? Spend the time in the Word that you can learn to trust the Lord again or in this particular situation. Now we're we're going to close with the words of our Lord Jesus in John 14:27. He says this, "Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you." And then he says this, "Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid." Let's pray. <clears throat> Holy Spirit be gracious to us. Teach us and empower us to, to redirect our thoughts from anxious and, and fearful ways of thinking that are such common ruts for us and, and redirect them so that we redirect to confident and, and faithful ways of thinking, they teach us to live like men and women and children who have a sovereign God who cares so dearly for them because. We really are men and women and children who have a sovereign God who cares dearly for us. Lord, if if you really love me so much that you notice and record every tear of mine, why am I afraid of anything? Sink this truth deep into my heart until I fear no more. Sink this truth deep into the hearts of all your people present here that they may fear no more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.